Let's pray together. Father, as we look into your word, Spirit, speak to us today. You know what you want to say to us. You know how we need to hear you. You know how we need to grow. And so speak through your word, and through our thoughts, and in our hearts. Spirit of God, continue that transformation. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. This year we're going to look together throughout the year at the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel is the first Gospel to be written, and many of the stories in the other Gospels come from Mark, and they have similarities. But Mark, if you want to put the essence of what Mark is all about, you have to turn to chapter 4. In chapter 4, there's a story from verse 35 of Jesus, and you'll know the story. Jesus tells his disciples to get into a boat and go to the other side of the lake. And he goes over to the other side of the lake, and while they're in the boat, a furious storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples, who are fishermen, don't forget, are there in the boat, and they are bailing the boat out, and the waves are coming over the side of the boat, and it's tipping all over the place, and Jesus is there fast asleep in the stern of the boat. Exhausted, I guess. Wouldn't you love to be able to sleep like that? Be beautiful, wouldn't it? But anyway, there he is asleep, and they wake him up, don't they? And they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus gets up and he says, quiet, be still, and the wind stops, and the waves calm down, and Jesus says, you have little faith. You still, you don't believe. And the disciples respond with these words. Can we put the, thank you, Brian. They said they were terrified, not at the wind and the waves, at Jesus, because they suddenly see the power of Jesus, and they say to each other, who is this? And the Gospel of Mark answers that question. It answers the question that the disciples asked in chapter 4, who really is Jesus? Right at the outset of the Gospel, Mark spells it out. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He gives you the answer, but then the rest of the Gospel, he kind of unpacks that as to really who Jesus is. Who is this? And it's probably apposite that it follows on from Matthew's gospel in our, the collection as we have it. Because at the end of Matthew's gospel is what? What's at the end, Matthew 28? The Great Commission. And what is the Great Commission? Okay, before that bit, what does Jesus say? He says these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Therefore, go make disciples. And what Mark does is that Mark takes that and shows us the answer to who is this. And he says that Jesus is the one that has authority. Authority over every different aspect of your life. You want to have victory in, in temptation? 
Jesus has authority over temptation. You want victory over sickness? Jesus has authority over sickness. You want victory over the principalities of darkness? Jesus has authority over them. And Mark goes through, and we will see as we travel through Mark together, that whatever we face in our life, Mark says, through the words of Jesus, through the stories of Jesus, that Jesus has authority, that Jesus has victory over all these things. So I want you to bear that in mind, and we will remind you, I'll remind you week in and week out as we go through Mark's gospel, that God says, in my son, I have the authority. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus Christ. So let's have a look together. Jesus has all the authority. He is the one that can help us, help us overcome. But notice, too, it says about the beginning of the gospel, the good news. What is the gospel? If you had to put it in a nutshell, what would you say the gospel was? Good news. Yes, I've just told you that. It's always a good ploy to give the guy back the answer that he's just told you. How would you describe the good news? What is the good news? Stories about Jesus? There was, a, there was a survey done. Let me let me put it like this. There was a survey done a number of years ago about the three sentences that we most want to hear. The three sentences that people most want to hear. Do you know what they are? Guess. I love you was number one. Number two? I forgive you, was number two. And number three? I trust you, no. It's a good answer, but no. You know what number three was? Dinner's ready. Isn't that true, though? Don't you just love to hear those words? Dinner is ready. And if you want to put in a nutshell what the gospel is, it is those three things. You won't forget it now, will you? God says what? I love you. God says, I forgive you. And God says, dinner's ready. In other words, what do you mean by dinner's ready? Well, we mean that it's time to receive, right? All the blessing, all the bounty, all the beauty That is, you remember when you were a little child and you were playing upstairs or you were busy doing your homework or whatever it was? No, actually, nobody ever did their homework, did they? When you were playing upstairs and you get that yell up the stairs, dinner's ready! Perfect, wasn't it? Unless you were excited about what you were doing, in which case, I'll be there in five. No, now. But when God says it, he says, you know what? I've given you all these blessings. It's ready for you. Is ready. Remember those three. What were they? Number one? Number two? Number three? That's the gospel in a nutshell. You won't forget it, will you? Let's read together from Mark's gospel. Mark says these words. The beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, 
a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Sounds absolutely foul, doesn't it, to me? But anyway, and itchy. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Whose job was it to untie sandals? Slaves, not servants. Servants, no. Slaves, yes. Right? The lowest of the lowest of the low. A slave that had no rights, had no, effectively no name. You could do whatever you wanted to to a slave, not a servant. A slave you could kill and you wouldn't be prosecuted because a slave was your property. You could dispose of a slave however you wanted to. And what is John saying? Jesus, who's going to come after me, I'm not even worthy on the same scale to be a slave, somebody of absolutely nothing. That's the kind of difference between me and Jesus. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Then we're going to skip a little passage that we'll come to next week, which is about Jesus' baptism and temptation. And in verse 14, it says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Thanks be to God for this reading. The question is, and what I want to look at today is, comes from verse 15. These are the first words in Mark's gospel of Jesus. He says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus, I said, has authority. The question for us is how do we then access the authority of Jesus? It's fine that Jesus has authority over all these things, but it's not just I love you, I forgive you, but the third thing was dinner's ready that I want to give what I have to you. It's not come and watch me eat dinner all on my own. It's I want to share it with you. And the question is, well, how do we access that authority of Jesus? And Jesus, or Mark, records those first words of Jesus and gives us the answer. So let's think about them together. He says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has near. Repent and believe the good news. Firstly, we have to recognize that it's available right now. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, the reason to become a believer was instilled in me is so that when I die, I won't go down, I will go up. 
And it was kind of like, as I look back on it, it was kind of like a, a lifelong Santa Claus kind of thing, right? June, you know, would come around in the year when I was a little boy, and I would get into trouble, and my mum would be going, you know, like, you're not going to get many presents at Christmas if you carry on in that kind of behavior, young man. And it was like this dangling of this kind of Santa Claus going to come and fill my stocking with presents, and if I'm a good boy, that's what's going to happen, but if I'm a bad boy, you get your lump of coal, right? And that's it. Mind you, that's probably worth more than the presents these days. But anyway. But the same was for Christianity for me. You've got to be good. You've got to follow all the rules. Because otherwise, when you die, you'll stand before God and he'll go, David, you were a bad boy. You're going down instead of going up. And you don't want that to happen, do you? But Jesus never speaks like that. What did he say in verse 15? He says, the time has come. It's all about now. Jesus was, yes, about eternal life in the future, but more than that, he was about eternal life right now. He's about saying, dinner is not the heavenly banquet that you have to work all your life and you you exhaust yourself here, and then you stand before the God and say, God, I hope I've been good enough. That, that's the Muslim way of doing things, right? You stand there and then you get judged at the end. And if you've done enough good things, if you've been on your hajj and you've prayed your five times a day and done all these things and given your money and done that, and they, then maybe you'll be good enough and you'll get in. But Jesus is a different way. He says it's all about now. It's about now accepting that I love you. Now accepting that you're forgiven. Now accepting that dinner's ready, the blessings are there. It's about now. The time, he says, right at the start, has come. It's now. It's not about waiting for the future. And to me, that's a great relief, isn't it? It's a massive relief. How many of you like doctor's appointments or hospital appointments? Yeah, they're horrible, right? And you know the worst part is the waiting. It's horrible because you picture in your mind all these, I don't know why you probably see too many movies with evil doctors or something. I don't know what it is, but you picture like the worst scenario, don't you, in your head. It's even worse being married to a nurse because she knows what the worst scenarios are. Trust me, right? She tells me. Why it could be this or this. No, it's just stop. But that's what you do. The waiting is worse than the actual event. And you go there and you summon up your courage. The worst thing is when you summon up the courage and you're about to go and they phone you and tell you it's been delayed or what. That's just. Anyways. But it's about now. It's about today. And Jesus says, think about where you are right now because the love and the forgiveness and the blessing are for now, not just something in the future, as awesome as that's going to be. The second thing is this. I need somebody to, Margaret, can you help me, Margaret, today? I 
I didn't have breakfast today. And in the church, I've, I've kind of hidden some food. Now, do you remember when you were young and the, this game used to be played? At the moment, you're very cold to where the food is. Yes, you're heading in a warmer direction. No, it kind of lukewarm, but keep, keep going. You get in slightly warmer. Do you remember this game? Yes, you're slightly heating up. I wouldn't say you're hot yet, though. Definitely getting warmer. Yeah, you're warm. Yeah, don't keep going, otherwise you'll be out the door. No, it's not out the door. <laughs> it's not in Londis, in case you're wondering. No. So no, going, going colder now. Definitely going warmer, warmer. You're definitely getting hotter. You're getting hotter. You're getting hot. Yes. Awesome. You're on fire. Do you want to bring it to me? That would be fantastic. Thank you. Do you remember that game when you were younger? It used to go on for hours, didn't it? Thank you. I think there should be two in here we can share. You're okay. You haven't even seen what it is first. Would you like a, a refresher or a drumstick? You have the refresher. Oh, I'm going to have the drumstick then. I'll save that for later. Because I know if I put it in my mouth, the sermon will be over. Now, let me tell you something. It was in the back corner. So how many of you walked by that this morning? How many of you came in through that front door? A few of you? What did Jesus say? He says it's now, but he says the kingdom of God is near. It's here with us. Any of you, I didn't mark it, any of you could have gone, hey, that looks interesting. I wonder what that is. Opened it up and eaten my breakfast. Couldn't you? It was here waiting for you. But none of you did. It was nearby, but none of you recognized what it was. And even if you saw it, you'd have just gone, oh, there's a brown envelope sitting up there. I wonder what that's for. And walked on by, right? It's near. It's here. It's all around. Now, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? We sing about it. We say about it all the time. It comes from the Aramaic, as I'm sure you know, which won't help you at all. But what is the kingdom of God? The perfect place to be? Paradise? Here and now? Everywhere? The knowledge of God? It's amazing how we say these things and we don't really know what they are, isn't it? Okay, listen to this from theological student. The rule of God in our lives. It's the rule of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. It comes from the Aramaic, Malku, which means exactly the royal rule of God. And what he's saying, we're going to come back to it in a minute, but he's saying that the, the, royal, the rule of God... So it's not a geographical place. Paradise is heaven, right? That's where the perfect rule of God is, is everywhere, in perfection. But the rule of God is, is here around us, he says, is near. 
It's here. Jesus said when he came, that you know what, that rule of God is around you. But the question is then, and this is what we'll look at is, well, how then do you access it, right? Just as those sweets were near you, they were here, you could have had them. But none of you took the time or the trouble to check out my brown envelope until I asked Margaret to go fetch it. It's exactly the same. Now, how do you access that then? Well, he said, firstly, you have to admit your need. Repent, he says. Repentance is access to the kingdom of God. That's the way that you come in to the royal rule of God. Now, what does repentance mean then? Well, there's three areas that we need to look at really quickly. Firstly is this. Firstly, to repent, you need to see the alternatives. What do I mean by that? There are many different ways to live your life. There are many kingdoms, if you like, in our world around us. There is the kingdom of consumerism, which says you just need to get more and more and more. How do you assess somebody? How do you know whether John is more worthy than Phil? Well, one of the ways we do it in our society is by the size of the house you live in, the kind of car you drive, the size of your bank account, and the kind of job that you have. We put more worth on a consultant in a hospital than we do on somebody who cleans the streets. That's a fact, right? You will more likely listen and take the opinion of a consultant in a hospital than somebody who works on the streets. Why? Because we've all got caught up in this consumeristic mentality that says one is better than another. And that's just the way we have to fight that all the time, don't we? Because our Christianity says something different. Our faith says something different. Or there's the other philosophies out there which say this is the way you should live your life. There is religion that tells you the way you should live your life. Do these things, and this is the, probably the most insidious of them all, do these things and everything will go well with you. When you do these things, if you stand before God, he will look at all the things that you've done in your church life or in your religion, and he will say, great, big tick for you, welcome. That's what religion says. That's what I was brought up with. Just come to church every Sunday, give your tithe, join a committee. If you're really super and you want to actually rub a stamp it and make sure you're definitely going to get there, become a trustee or the treasurer or the church secretary. And if you actually want to guarantee it, get ordained and become a priest. Then you know you're going to go in, right? That's religion. But Jesus says it's not like that. So we need to see the alternatives, why does the church exist? Because we should be one of the alternatives. The reason for the church is to show the alternative of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The reason for the church is to show the alternative of Jesus Christ. We should be demonstrating the royal rule of Christ. That's what we're here for. That's what the church is. That's what brothers and sisters in Christ are all about. That's why we study the rule of Christ in his word, and we seek to put it into practice. You see, unless people see an alternative, why would they come? Why would they come? 
Why, why do people not come flooding into churches? Because what they see is not an alternative that is any better than what they have. True? Why, when we went through that passage in the book of Acts, were numbers being added daily? Because those people were different. They lived a life that was different, and other people saw the alternative that they were living and said, you know what, I want some of that. That, that alternative that you're living is way better than the life I'm living right now. The love that I see, the forgiveness that I see, the blessing that I see in those people's lives as they live together in the hardship and the struggle, yes. But I see something different in them, and that's what I want. The sad thing about the church so often is that what we see in the church is just a reflection of what we see outside of the church. Sometimes even being in the church is worse than being outside the church. We argue more inside a church than we do outside. We fall out more inside a church than we do outside. Do you know what I'm saying? And so people, what we're showing them is not the kingdom. We're showing them something else. And so Jesus says, you know what? First of all, you need, in repentance, you need to see an alternative that says, you know what? I want to go this way rather than this way. How else would anybody know if we don't show them? You understand what I'm saying? No, obviously not. We need to, you need to see an alternative option. Secondly, then you need to choose the right option. Once you see the alternatives about how you can live your life, who is going to be the ruler of your life, what structure, how you're going to, what, what your values are, what your judgments are, what, what you're going to believe in, then you choose, don't you? And then you walk in it. You see, repentance is not just about me walking this way and then turning around and walking this way. It's about me walking this way and then seeing a whole load of different options, one of which is the way of the kingdom of God. And saying, Jesus, I want to be and follow the kingdom way. I don't want any of these other ways. That's the way I want to follow. Happened to me when I was a teenager. I was sitting at a party. I'd taken a girl to a party. I didn't really like her. I don't know why I took her, to be honest. But And, and she lived miles away from the party and... Her father was going to take us in the car, and she said, no, let's walk so we can talk. And that just ruined it for me. I just thought, no, that's not happening. Anyway, went to the party, and I left her, and she ended up going home with my best friend. But uh, I remember sitting there at the party. I was sitting on the stairs. I drunk way too much alcohol, as you do when you're a teenager. And that was the moment that I sat there, and I said, you know what? If I continue on this way, where is it going to end up? I remember sitting there, the bottom of the steps, saying, I need to make a choice today. I can carry on partying three times a week like I was doing and going and dancing and all the alcohol and everything else, but where is it really going to end up? 
And it was at that moment I said, God, if you are really there, if, if the kingdom is the way, I mean, that's my language now, but I said, God, if you're really there, then let me just go that way. Let me just see what it means to go that way. You see, if you go that way, you can't go that way half-hearted, can you? You can't go that way and this way at the same time. You have to choose which way you're going to go, right? And it was that moment that I chose to say, Jesus, let me just go your way. That's the way I choose. But you needed to see the alternatives, right? I knew the alternatives. I just needed to make a decision. And then once you've made the decision, you have to walk it. You can't sit there on the step and waver around, can you? Because you're never going to go anywhere. You have to say, okay, if I'm going to go this way, Jesus, let me go that way. And things started to change really quickly, as things do. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not just saying, I don't want to. It's saying, I'm going to choose your way, the kingdom of God, the royal rule of God. Lord, you become the way that I am going to follow. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, no one goes unless you're walking that pathway, right? That's what it means. You need to walk it. And lastly, it says you need to believe. Jesus said these words, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Believe the good news. In other words, live it out. Believe it. Put it into practice. Start walking that way and keep on walking that way and keep putting it into practice over and over and over again. You remember in Luke 7, there was a certain Roman centurion whose servant was ill. Do you remember he came to Jesus? And he said, you can heal my servant, please. And Jesus said, I'll come. And he said, no, you don't need to come. I'm not worthy for you to come anyway. Say the word, and it will be done. And what did Jesus say? I've never seen such faith in Israel. Now, what was different about that centurion? He was walking the kingdom way, right? He said, even as a Gentile centurion, I'm going to walk the way of the kingdom of God. In other words, I'm going to admit that I need Jesus. Don't come. Don't come because I'm not worthy like John the Baptist. But just say the word. He had the faith to say the word. Say the word and I know it's going to be done, God. He was walking the kingdom way because he had aligned his life to the kingdom. You know, you see... This is how it works. The kingdom of God is like a river that is flowing. And you can choose to get in the river and align yourself to the flow of the river, or you can swim across it, or you can fight upstream against it, or you can not even get in the river. But the river is flowing. You want to know why certain people, they always... They have the blessing and they would call it the anointing of God because they're flowing in the direction of the kingdom of God. It's all it takes. You align yourself 
to the kingdom, to the way that God wants. And then all those promises that we will read about become true for you. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you're aligned in the kingdom of God, that becomes true. If anything you ask in my name, it will be done for you. You're aligned in the kingdom of God, that becomes true. If two or three elders get together and pray and anoint, the sick person will become well. If you're aligned in the kingdom of God, that becomes a reality. All the promises of God are dependent upon your alignment to the kingdom. The centurion was aligned to the kingdom of God, which is why Jesus said, I've never seen such great faith, such great alignment in the kingdom in all of Israel. What about you? As we begin this journey through Mark, what about you? You see, Jesus says, I have authority over everything. I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. Dinner's ready. I want to give it to you. But to give it to you, you need that alignment. Are you aligned in the kingdom? The truth is we move in and out, right? The truth is that sometimes I'm more aligned than other times in my life. That's why I need constant repentance. And say, and repentance is just, Lord, get me back in line. Do whatever you need to do in me to get me back flowing with you in the truth of your kingdom. I want you to ask yourself today, how aligned are you? And if you're not, if you know that you're out of alignment in whatever way, say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, get me back, whatever it takes, whatever you need to knock aside, whatever you need to do, get me back in line. Because I know you love me. I know what it is to be forgiven. But Lord, I want suppers ready too. I want the blessings that come with the authority that you have over heaven and earth. I want that in my life, all for your honor and glory.